Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, CEO of Digital Dawn, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here on the Ecom Profit Podcast, I open Pandora's box and share with you and other ecom business owners weekly topics that will help you explode your business online. I outline my tried and true secret sauce, the D2D method, that's guaranteed to bring your business results. As an entrepreneur myself, I try to pull out all the same entrepreneurial passions in others. So get ready to be fired up about your business and let's have a great time. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Don Sinkula, and today we have Ben Leonard, who is an amazing entrepreneur, but best known as the founder of Beast Gear and the classic millennial entrepreneur. He built his business on a laptop in his spare time. But the difference with Ben, which is really cool and something we're going to talk about, is he grew an inter- grew this e-com business into an international seven-figure business and then successfully exited his business after three years, which for so many of us is like the holy grail, right? So now Ben is doing it all over again, and he's helping others do the same thing with his e-commerce consultant business and his e-commerce broker's brokerage business. Ben, welcome to the show. So excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Dawn. It's good to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you first started in this entrepreneurial space. So B-Scare was the first of your adventures or was that just kind of the one that took off the most? It was the first one. and I, wow. I it, it all happened kind of by accident. Um, my background is very different. Uh, I didn't have a business background when I discovered my kind of entrepreneurial spark. Uh, I'm actually a qualified whale and dolphin nerd. Um, <laughs> uh, I live in uh, Northeast Scotland uh, in an oil town called Aberdeen. And um, I was the token tree hugger in the room telling the oil guys that they couldn't throw certain chemicals in the sea. So I was an environmental scientist. I enjoyed it, but something happened in, in early 2016. I got quite sick with a heart problem. Okay. Uh, I'm fine now, but I had to take some time off a work, but be my fitness hobbies. So I started a fitness brand. That's how Beast Gear came to exist just as a hobby, really. And it turned out I was quite good at it. And it snowballed from there. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. So tell us a little bit about Beast Gear. What, what was kind of the, the, so this was sort of the background, right? And a lot of the, just to back up before we get into that, a lot of the people that we work with at the agency, you know, start their businesses out of need right? Or start their businesses out of, you know, a vision or a purpose or things like that. Obviously, this was something I think you kind of started as I've read, you know, because of, of sort of what happened in life. But tell us a little bit about B-Scare. What, what was the sort of vision of it? What was the initial? And then we're going to get into how you actually were able to exit this after three years. Which yeah, is sure. Um, well, it's, so it started as a hobby to give me something to do while I recovered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was not well, and I was tidying through my gym equipment and I was thinking, mm, I could probably do a better job of this. And my, my then girlfriend, now wife was studying. And so she was super busy and she encouraged me to, to kind of take this project on to keep me occupied. And so came this journey of uh, developing products, which were better than what I was already using and mm. developing out this brand 
And I had this unfair advantage because A, I, I was my customer, so I knew what, what we needed to do. Yeah. And B, although I had no business experience, I was in a better position than someone else who had no business experience because my scientific background meant that I kind of came at it from a scientific angle, you know, try something, see what happens, analyze it, tweak it and go again. Um, mm. And that meant it wasn't like a completely fly by the seat of your pants, learn by doing. It was it was learn pretty scientifically and figure out what's working and what's not and double down on what's working. Sure, sure. And so over the course of how much time did you start to realize like, hey, I'm onto something here. I can kind of make a go of this like in as a business and as yeah. a thing. And, and this might actually turn into something, you know, sustainable as a business. Yeah, relatively quickly. Um, I remember shortly when I, when I, when I started, right, the first sales, you know, it's, it's family and friends, right? Hey, I right. just put this thing on the internet. Would you mind buying it? <laughs> and uh, my wife would come home from work and Katie would say, uh, oh, how many sales did you make today? And I'd say, oh, five. She said, how many of those were your friends? I'd be like, all five. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, you know, we'd get to a point where it was, how many sales was it today? I'd say, oh, 10. And how many were your friends? I was like, well, seven of them, right? And then I remember one day, she was like, how many sales today? I was like, 25. And how many friends? None. All complete strangers. And that's when I knew, oh, we're onto something here. And that yeah. was, you know, so I think I sold my first product to like a complete stranger in June and by sort of the, the, the autumn or fall of that year, I'd, I'd launched the second product and, and we were doing, you know, we were doing really well and it was clearly going somewhere. Yeah. So what kind of was the motivation outside of your health? So you, you realized that this was something that you could, you could do and you could help others and you could start kind of sharing this product. What were some of the things, I guess, from a scientific background that helped you gain traction? Because so many of our listeners like have similar stories, like I said, right? Like they start something, they put it out on the internet. I've said this before, like if you build it, they won't come necessarily, right? Yeah. And and so how did you get traction? How did you start getting other people outside of friends and family to buy some things like that? And how did then this sort of ongoing, I mean, it, it grew into something very quickly internationally into seven figures. How did you get that momentum going? And it, tell us about that. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Um well, first of all, I, I chose the right marketplaces. So yes, we sold through our own website, but there's no denying that Amazon was a huge part of it. Yeah. And I think anyone, you know, there was a time when people were saying, I'm not going to go on Amazon because it will dilute my brand identity. I don't think that that's true anymore. You get plenty of luxury brands on Amazon. Everyone yeah. is on Amazon and you kind of have to be on Amazon. So right. going there was a smart move because that's where the eyeballs are. But yeah. in terms of when I first got started, it was a case of, okay, so I am my customer. Where are my customers? Mm -hmm. Well, they're in Facebook groups. They're consuming content on YouTube. They're reading articles about fitness and how to do particular exercises, the equipment that they need, programs they should be following. All right, yeah. I'll, I'll go there. Yeah. So I was in, you know, uh, CrossFit Facebook groups, for instance, and I was just yeah. providing helpful community, you know, I was just a helpful member of that community. Yeah. And so then when the time came to say, guys, you know, I've developed this, people were willing to support that. And then on the back of that, you provide an excellent customer experience, you get the reviews, and then the flywheel's turning and then complete strangers are going to buy from you. 
And then those complete strangers will come find you on, say, Instagram. And on the back end of that, you're providing phenomenal. um, Yeah. You know, I would provide one to one. I would DM complete strangers who bought our stuff on Instagram. And people listening will say, well, yeah, but Ben, that doesn't scale. You can't keep doing that when you've got, you know, tens of thousands of customers. Right. The answer to that is, yeah, it doesn't scale, which is great because it means that the, the huge big corporations aren't doing it. Right. You can do it. And when it becomes unsustainable for you to do it yourself, well, you hand it over to freelancers. Right. And that's right. how the, the little guys on laptops win and the big corporations don't because they're they're just lumbering, they're lumbering cruise ships and we're little speedboats. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. And and I think that sometimes is so powerful, just that extra personal touch, the extra personal um, you know, things that, that the big boys aren't doing, big girls aren't doing, right? And and keeping that top of mind and knowing where your customers are hanging out is so, so important. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. So this thing takes off. It's been a couple of years. Um, you're kind of doing this. At what point did you realize, hmm, I, I want to move on to the next thing? Or did you have someone approach you that said, hey, I want to buy this from you? Or did you sort of always go into this with the mindset that you were going to exit? How did that transition happen? And so quickly, obviously, in, within three years, but did you kind of go into it with that perspective? Or, or how did it come to be? So I didn't go into that into it with that perspective, because I, I had no business background. I was very naive. And actually, yeah. the naivety was actually... Um, a bonus because I think if I'd known more about it, I would have been scared off and not done it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so having no business background, no marketing background, no product development background meant I, that I learned along the way, but then I, I learned something new. And this was in early 2019. I, I came to understand that, holy cow, my business could be worth something and it could be worth quite a lot here. Yeah. And I'd begun, begun to hear sort of whispers that, that buying e-commerce businesses was becoming a thing, right. In, in the past, Investors would look down their noses at e-commerce because, you know, it, it doesn't have a roof or a door. It's right. it's it's on the internet, right? It's not a real grown-up business, right? Is what they <laughs> what they is what they thought uh, right. not anymore. Right. And in early 2019, I came to realize that I could sell this. And it was around about the February or March that I started to do some research into figuring out the, how I could sell it. Yeah. And I, I spoke to different brokers and I eventually went through a process and, and sold the business. Uh Halloween 2019. 2019, right before the, the pandemic. Right before the boom. Oh, yeah, right before <laughs> the pandemic and the boom in, in, in buying right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, good timing and, and, and sort of maybe could have been, you know, I mean, yeah. you know what could have happened, right? You, you just yeah. don't know. I mean, you I don't know. And I, I don't regret selling what I did because um, yeah. you can't live your life like that, right? Correct. Um, it was the right thing for me and my family at the time. Right. Okay. So you had somebody that approached you and said, Hey, Ben, I think I want to buy your business. Or did you go to market with it and say, I'm ready to sell it? I approached several brokers, um, settled on one based on the recommendation from a friend. Um, and in hindsight, that was the wrong choice because that broker, um, frankly, wasn't really suitably qualified and, and made what could have been a catastrophic error along the way. Mm. Um, by this point, I was kind of tied into them, but I was lucky because my accountant, uh, or rather the director of the accountancy firm who looked after my business's accounts, um, kind of saved the day and tidied up tidied up the mess. I, I renegotiated the commission I was going to pay to that broker based on the fact that, that we, we'd done their job for them. 
mm-hmm. and the deal was done. And um, it was based off of that, that, that Alison and I, uh, after she'd kind of saved the day, we said to each other, well, the obvious thing to do here is improve on that process. So that's why we then founded our own brokerage. Yes. Yes. So what were some things before we get into that? Because I'm, I am really curious and we talked just briefly about the, before we started the podcast, kind of my interest in, in buying, you know, other businesses and things like that. But before we get into that, tell me what were some things that, because we have a lot of e-com businesses that listen Mm. that have sort of an exit strategy thought, or perhaps they have always been sort of in the mindset of, well, when I hit a certain threshold, I'm going to sell it, or somebody somewhere will come and want to buy this amazing business of mine. What are some things that e-com business owners need to have sort of in the back of their head if they're thinking about selling their business or what are some lessons learned that maybe like, man, if I had started it this way, it would have been so much faster when I was ready to sell. There's a lot of questions in that, but what are some things there that, that are tips or tricks that you can start giving on how to get your business ready for sale? Sure. Um, I think the number one is a lot of times when people are thinking about selling their business, they kind of get dollar signs in their eyes and like, oh, mm. if I'm doing this much profit and I sell for this multiple, I could make this much money. Yeah. That's fine, but um, that's only if you sell it. And so to sell it, you need to find a buyer who's willing to part with, with their money in exchange for it. So right. what really helps is to actually flip things around and look at your business through the eyes of the buyer and ask yourself, would you buy your business? Mm. And if you if the answer is yes, well, great, but but nevertheless, there's still going to be some work to do. And the answer might be well, maybe, but these aspects are a little bit kind of shaky, right? You want your business to be, uh, you know, on a rock solid footing. And so I like to think of things in sort of five aspects. And okay. if you imagine imagine a pyramid with five layers, like an Egyptian or rather a Mayan pyramid, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, be quite a small buying period of it if it's only got five steps, but nevertheless. <laughs> um, uh, so like brand is at the bottom because I believe that's the most po- most powerful underpinning of the business. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Then, you've, then you've got growth. Buyers want a business which A, has got a, a good growth history, but B, has got um, levers for growth that they can easily pull to get a quick return on their investment. Yeah. That could be adding more products, adding more sales channels, uh, moving to inter- more international markets. Then the next layer of the pyramid is a risk. The risk profile of the business needs to be within the risk um, appetite of the buyer. And buyer's risk appetite, especially in 2022, has has gone down. They're they're less willing to take a punt. Then the next layer is transferability. How, you know, when a buyer buys your business, they're essentially going to pick it up and drop it into their existing setup. So how transferable is your business? So that comes down to things like efficiency, outsourcing, automation, etc. And then you've got documentation. Um, that buyer, when they're doing their due diligence on your business, they want to look into every nook and cranny and turn over every stone. So you need to make sure you've got records of absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing. And I think so many, you said so many different things there that I, I just want to pause on for a second. Like sure. brand, brand being kind of at the foundation of everything. What does that mean to you when you think of brand? So a lot of people think of, well, I have to have, you know, really pretty fonts. I have to have a great website. I have to have, you know, 5,000 or 10,000 or 30,000 or 60,000 followers on Instagram. Like, what does that mean when you think of the brand yeah. as a foundation? I think that's, that's means so many different things to so many people. 
So I'll answer that, but let me just kind of explain why brand is the foundation, right? Because yeah. if I, I, we would say that any three layers of that pyramid I just mentioned need to be in good standing for the business to be nice and sellable. Okay. But if you add brand to that, you're taking a good business and, and making it great. And what's so good about brand is it can make up for weaknesses in the business. If you have a phenomenal brand identity, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, then a buyer might be willing to um, uh, look over the fact that perhaps the yeah. risk profile of the business is not quite what they would like, or perhaps there are inefficiencies in the business. That means onboarding it is going to be a bit more of a pain than they would have liked, but the, the strength of the brand means they can see a huge opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to, there are many definitions of brand, but a one, I, one I really like is a suite of products which solve related problems or issues for a particular group of people. So mm. you know, they, that could be knitters or boxers or photographers or whatever it might be. And yeah. branding is how you make people feel about your brand. Yeah. And marketing is how you tell them about it. And, and marketing is more important because, you know, if a tree falls over in the forest and there's no one there to hear, it doesn't make a sound. Well, right. if you've got the best brand in the world and you haven't told anyone about it, you might as well right. not have a brand. Yeah. Right. Right. And the reason brand matters so much is with no brand identity, there's no hook or excitement. There's no following. There's no repeat custom. There's no word of mouth. There's no social media. There's no pride in using your products. I mean, people yeah. listening to this will, will be able to think of their favorite brands, whether that's, you know, related to a hobby of theirs, like skiing or their favorite brands of food products that they got in their cupboards. Yeah. And, you know, when I sold Beastgear, there was significant value in the, in the brand. We had a cult-like following of fans who yep. would buy all of our new products just because they were Beastgear products. But if yeah. we just slapped a logo on something we bought off the shelf, yep. there would have been nothing in that. Because, you know, buyers want a sustainable business with growth potential, intellectual property, and repeat custom. And a brand gives you that, but generic stuff just doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the the way you've described that as as products that, you know, people kind of have a, a cult following or passion to use over and over again. And we've at the agency had many of those clients where it doesn't really matter what they put out. I mean, it does, of course, but you know, people will buy it regardless because they just are so passionate about whatever it is that they're putting out into the world. And having that sort of cult following is part of the brand, the brand identity and growth and risk and transferability and documentation. Those are all amazing, amazing things to think about. And, you know, I love the book, um, built to sell, right? And I've read yep. that many times. I'm sure Very you have as well. Many of uh, the listeners have, and and people in the online space have have read it, or business owners just in general have read it. Is there some sort of philosophy that you sort of took on when you were outside of this pyramid that that really helped strengthen your ability to kind of recognize that, like, okay, now I'm going to go into the broker space, right? Like you're going to sell this business and now you're going to go into this broker space. I'm going to look for businesses that one have this model maybe, but mm -hmm. from that book, you, you know, built to sell, even there's philosophies of like, you've got to get niched. You've got to get really focused. You can only do one thing. 
you know, are, are there other philosophies that you've started to incorporate into now you've transitioned into buying businesses, selling businesses, facilitating the purchase of businesses? What, what does that look like now that you've been on the other side of it for a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's, it's, it's like I said before, it's, it's viewing things through the, through the eyes of the buyer and it's setting the expectation with sellers who very often come to us very hyped up because they've heard about what's going on in the space and, you know, so-and-so yeah. sold their business for this much. Maybe I can sell my business. And it's managing those expectations and it's saying the key word here is, is deal, right? Yeah. It's got to work for both sides. Yeah. And so it's all very well taking a business to market, but you have to sell it. And so to sell it, it's got to look good for both sides. So one of the things that I really enjoy is deal structure and putting together win-wins so that buyers and sellers can both have their cake and eat it. Mm-hmm. Because not only, you know, you got to remember, buyers are buying the business because it's a great business with a lot of potential which means by definition then that the founders have done a great job with it and they still have a lot to offer. Yeah. So I'm, I really love it when we find ways to give the, the sellers, yeah, a nice chunk of cash up front, potentially life-changing, yeah. but a way to have their cake and eat it so that they can even enjoy the growth that the, the new owner is going to have. Yeah. And it's thinking that long-term view that it is, is quite different than, than somewhat of a, of a toxic philosophy that I think has been in this space for a while of, Flip your business and have the money in your bank account in 30 days. You know, right, we're not right. talking about, you know, like a, a a blog here. We're talking about a business, a real business that somebody's put their heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into. Yeah. Why would you relegate it to being flipped when you ought to be carefully selling it? Mm, um, I yeah. I love that. So are there specific markers for business owners or specific thresholds that business owners have to meet in order to be ready to sell their business. So sometimes I've heard people say, well, you have to meet, you have to be at a million dollars before anybody's even going to look at it. Or you have to have, you know, 10 different employees. You have to have 15 SKUs or more, you know, are there, (laughs) I, I think that's, in my opinion, I don't think that's accurate and, and think that there's much more to valuation of, of businesses than just those sort of mile markers or what have you. But in your experience now transitioning into this, what are, what are the things that, you know, are kind of the, yep, this is a ready to sell kind of business and, and we would be interested and open to looking at it. Yeah. So part of the answer is there's, there's almost no criteria because there's horses for courses, right? And, and, and there's, there might be a buyer for just about anything. However, there are certain businesses for which um, they really are probably too small or, or not strong enough of a brand mm. for the type of, 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 of thorough M&A process that we go through. So generally speaking, we need them to have you know, an, an SDE of at least a couple of hundred grand um, unless there's something particularly special about it, for instance, from an intellectual property point of view, mm-hmm. you know, we've looked at, a, 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 we, we, we've sold some smaller businesses where for one reason or another, the owners have decided that they, 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 they need to sell it, but actually they've got some excellent IP around the products and the business. And, and therefore it becomes quite interesting, but yeah. generally speaking, you need, you need to be doing at least a couple hundred grand in SDE with a strong brand identity, um, and, and the other things that I mentioned there as part of that pyramid, the growth, the growth, the good yeah. risk profile, the transferability, the documentation, you know, I, I, I generally say to people while they're growing their businesses to think about, you know, 
building a business which is stable, so you're selling in a favorable niche, you're not partaking in any black hat strategies. Yeah. Building a business which is defensible, so you have a brand identity, you've got trademarks, you've got patents. Mm-hmm. It, you, somebody can't just come along and, and copy you overnight. Building a business which is diversified, so you're not just relying on all your eggs in one basket in terms of both products, so you don't just have like one or two SKUs, but channels, markets, traffic sources. Building a business which is efficient, so you've automated as much as you can, outsourced as much as you can. You have real systems and processes in there that a new buyer can take on. These are the things to think about. So you don't feel, in your opinion, and what you've seen so far, you don't think that it necessarily matters the the volume of SKUs or employees or products or things like that. I mean, obviously, you want to have proof of concept. And to your point, you have to have made some sales at a significant amount and, and have traffic sources and things like that. But when when looking to buy your your maybe looking more from a a growth perspective or an intellectual property perspective, not necessarily buying teams or buying, you know, that kind of stuff as well, or is it kind of all of that, as you've stated? Um, You know, SKUs, anywhere between, you know, uh, four four and a hundred, I think is great for a physical products e-commerce brand. Yeah. And more than that, it's starting to get pretty complex and that can put yeah. off potential buyers. I mean, some buyers are set up to do with tens of thousands of SKUs, but as you, the more you do that, the more you're narrowing your buyer pool, right? Right. Uh, right. Employees, um, I think it, it, a lot, more and more e-commerce businesses have, have zero or few employees and it's, it's freelancers. Yeah. Um, the answer to whether that's a disadvantage or advantage is it depends because some buyers are looking to actually improve the talent within their wider portfolio and they're very keen to take on employees with experience in these Mm -hmm. brands and then apply their cross learnings across their portfolio of brands on the other hand uh, others just wish to acquire the brand essentially and drop it into their existing setup and frequently what we see is actually sellers want to main keep their team you know the team will stay with the brand for a transition period after it's sold then the sellers will keep that team and use that on a new project got it got it So there's really so many different variables that are options for people who might be interested in selling their brand in, you don't have, there's kind of not a one size fits all. You must check these boxes in order to be a a sellable type of brand. It really is, like you've said, kind of dependent on what the market's willing to buy, first of all, and do you actually have a brand worth purchasing um, from that perspective? Is there ever a time where you've seen a business and you thought this is just not anything worth selling at all like has there ever been anything where you you just went oh my gosh this is like get get out of here no way we don't yeah. even want to look at it yeah you know more often than you might think because really? yeah. the the message that has been put out on podcasts and blogs and in, in groups social media etc for the last two years has been there's a gold rush there's tons of money been raised you can sell your business for squillions right right and, and actually you know a lot of pretty poor businesses were bought for way more than they're worth yeah and and the market has has, has adjusted corrected and we 
often have to deliver the bad news that either the business is not particularly sellable or at least not for anywhere near what the what the owner thought it was they are you know along those same lines is sellers often they don't they don't understand their numbers because right. and one of the one of the reasons for that is they're using these uh very useful tools like seller legend seller board helium 10 which mm-hmm. pull in the numbers from their amazon accounts and their shopify accounts and paypal and all that kind of stuff and they're really useful tools to give you a rough idea but they're not they're not accounting tools yeah. So we'll have pe- people, we've had people come to us and say, yeah, my, so my, uh, my SDE is 600,000. We're like, great, let's take a look. And then we have to go back to them and say, no, your SDE is half that. Um, and, and for and people some, who don't know what an SDE is, do you want to, do you want, can you? Sure. Yeah. It, it, it's seller's discretionary earnings, which is, um, for the, for the purposes of this podcast, just call that profit. It's, it's not quite profit. It's, it's your net income plus addbacks and adjustments. But essentially, you take, generally speaking, we value a business based on the trailing 12 months performance, which is uh, based on this, this SDE metric. And we multiply that by a multiple, which gives us the value of the business. And so in e-commerce, multiples are, are typically between around you know, three and six. Um, and they have been lately, they have been uh, at the lower end of that, although they are, they are recovering now, which is great. Um, and that's how we arrive at the value of the business. Got it. So when you look at a evaluation of a business initially, you go in, you look at that, you you have these conversations and business owners are thinking that their numbers are much more inflated than what they actually are. And you're having to be the bearer of bad news. So what yeah. should business owners be looking at on a regular basis to help them understand their numbers? So what are what are some, you know, I mean, obviously you've got to have a really good accountant. And I've, I've talked about this many times. Like if you don't understand your numbers and i'm talking about to the minutia of like the cogs finest details and all of the little pieces to it it can be pretty scary for you in the long run because you're not going to understand how your growth is going to be sustainable over time particularly when it comes to marketing and other things like that where i've seen businesses be completely upside down making millions of dollars but in debt cash flow is terrible they don't understand what they're doing but they're just spending 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 on Facebook ads or whatever. So what in your opinion is, is like the best sort of tools to be looking at as a business owner? I mean, there's so many different, you know, things out there. So maybe it's not necessarily a tool. Maybe it's like, what are the numbers that you should be looking at on a consistent basis as an econ business owner? So it's, I'll mention the numbers in a sec. It's all very well looking at the numbers, but the numbers have to be correct. Yeah, right. And the best the best way for the numbers to be correct is if you don't do it yourself. You should then the first thing people should be outsourcing. And in my opinion, people should not wait to outsource this. This is not a case of oh I, well, I'm not gonna outsource this until I can afford it. No. You, you need to outsource it. this when you can't afford not to, right? So your your first overhead when you the day one you start your business is is an accountant. Right. And, and preferably an accountant rather than a bookkeeper. An accountant who's going to sit down with you once a month or perhaps once a quarter, but the more frequently, the better, and explain to you what is going on in your business. So then you can take that information and make better decisions on what you're actually doing and how you're operating it. Yes. So then the numbers you want to be looking at, of course, you want to, you know, your, your sale, sales is great, but it's a bit of a, a vanity metric. Sales, profitability, cash flow. What is your... Um, what is your, your growth looking like? What is your uh, marketing spend? Is it actually profitable? 
Yeah. Um, you know, so many people are dumping money into things like Facebook ads, which are nowhere near what they were, you know, a few years ago. Right. Um, when actually it might be much better for them to be spending that somewhere, which is more like what Facebook was in 2015, TikTok, for instance. Yes. Um, understanding these numbers will help you make better and f- better decisions about how how to run your business. And then the route that you take based on those numbers will change depending on where you are. If you're very much in growth mode at the start, then this the way that you respond to those numbers will be quite different from when you're a few months out from going to market, for instance, or you know, within a year of going to market, when you're going to be much more interested in boosting your, your SDE. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are so like, I, you know, my background is all in finance and, and that's what I've done. My, so this is like speaking my love language of like, you know, all the things finance. And I think it's really, really important. And we spend a lot of time with our clients going over those numbers first before we even start the marketing conversations, because I think it really, it, it, it is so impactful in the long term profitability and growth of your business if you don't understand that. So I love that you've said the first person that you should outsource to is an accountant because I agree with you and I think so many people just miss that one and they go right to like, oh, I'm going to hire a social media manager. I'm going to hire somebody or other. And I'm like, but you're but your numbers there are so yeah. more important than than the yeah, rest of it. Yeah. You know, hire the accountant first before anything. Yeah, 100%. Like that, sure. And, and uh, you know, a great accountant, it's, it's, not a, it's not a cost. It's a return on investment. You know? Correct. It is. And, um, and the, the good news is that the accounting costs and others, when we come to value the business, are what we call addbacks, right? Yeah. Because the, the chances are your business is going to be acquired by another organization which already has an accountant. And therefore, we, when we're looking, when we're valuing your business, your accounting costs come, we remove them from the lost part of your P&L sheet and essentially, you know, in, in layperson's terms, your profit gets boosted, right? And then when we multiply that by a multiple, there's a compounding effect and bingo, your business is worth more. Right, right. So did you hear that, everyone? <laughs> you get your money back by hiring an accountant, so to speak, right? Yeah. Like it's it's one of the best return on investments, I think, not just from that, but then you also know too and have, you know, line of sight and strategy that helps build a lot of these you know, foundational things that you've talked about and helping you make better business decisions, just generally speaking. So I think an accountant, number one, hire uh, a totally, totally agree. Well, gosh, you have given us so much information to think about here. And as we kind of wrap things up, like what is the one big takeaway now that you have as a business, you've, you've done it, been there, seen it, and now you're on the other side of it, buying and selling. What is the one big takeaway that you might give as advice for people who are currently in this space, maybe thinking about it now, per, buying um, or, or even selling to that point. But but let's talk about, you know, selling their businesses kind of people. Sure. Um, I think it comes back to what I said before. It's ask yourself, would you buy your business and be really brutally honest about it? And then write down the things. If you were conducting due diligence on your business and, and put yourself in the mindset of you're viewing a house and you're going to buy it and you're looking at the home report and you're saying, hmm, I'm not too sure about this woodworm or whatever it might be. Yeah. What are the weak points? And, and say, okay, that's fine. Great. Now I'm aware of this. I'm not burying my head in the sand and, and, and have an attitude of excitement that you're discovering these, these weak points because you're saying, great, these are the things I can focus on to make my business stronger, more attractive to a potential buyer. 
And it's great because it has a compounding effect. That not only does it make your business more sellable in the first place, but it makes it more valuable too, because somebody is willing to part with more money for it because it's better. Right. That's, that's what I would do. Yeah. I love that. Love that. Okay. Well, if people want to find out more about you, Ben, and your broker business, where do they go? Where can people um, find you? Yep. You know, what, what, what are the, where are the places? Number one's our website, ecombrokers.co.uk. It's a UK domain. We're operating all over the world. We have a deal director sits in Chicago. Um, you can email me, ben at ecombrokers.co.uk. We're on all the main social media channels at ecombrokers. Um, I'm on all the main social media channels at Ben Leonard Pro. And uh, that's the main things to do. Love it. This has been amazing. And if you are listening to this, you have questions um, and, and things come up, don't hesitate to reach out. We we may bring you back, Ben, for follow-up uh, conversations because we to. have a lot of people that always ask, like, how do I get my business ready to sell? So this has been amazing. I know that there have been a lot of tips and tricks and things that everybody can take and apply to their businesses today. So thank you so much for joining us. It has been amazing. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see if you're a good fit to work with the Digital Dawn team, head over to digitaldawnagency.com forward slash contact and let's book a call. Thanks so much again. And until next time.